Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate abner maris is a world champion boxer olympian sports commentator and most importantly dad to two little girls beloved by abuelas the hardcore fans alike abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mars, we'll hear from Abner and his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champ, sports, music, culture, and family life, and just being a husband and a girl dad. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Morris whenever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I'm Pat Nevin. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host joined by Nick and Dan. And this is uh, one of our, our Matt Law specials. So we've got Matt back with us. How you doing, sir? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Very well. International week, so it's a different pace this week. Yes, yes. Very different, obviously, for, for what you're covering and for what we're consuming. Uh, but it's been a while since we've talked, actually. The last time we spoke, if I'm not mistaken, was around the Manchester United match, uh, yes. which means quite a bit has happened. So yeah. I think we'll have a lot of updates to, to get through on this. Um, it is funny. We're talking before the show, obviously. It turns out you and Nick have something in common, Nick, that I wasn't expecting. What would that be? A love of... The best kid at Chelsea Football Club, or or what? It's not a moustache. I couldn't grow that moustache. Come on, man. Yeah, you can look at this thing. It, That's a great get... moustache. But no, I, I like the kit. I think I'm the only person. I'm too scared to say it on Twitter. I'm just scared about the battering I will take. But I'll say it on here. I'm, I'm going to exclusively reveal I like the Chelsea third kit. But just, it, it doesn't matter. I don't care that it looks like Crystal Palace's kit. And Crystal Palace always have a nice kit. Matt, just like the Kool-Aid man, you got to run through that wall, my friend, because on the <laughs> other side is glory. And I, I think it looks good. It's a lot more pink in person than it is red. So the Palace thing kind of gets thrown out the window and you actually see it in person. But on TV, yeah. it looks red. Maybe maybe it's because uh, I'm, I'm not completely against it. So maybe it's like a child of the 90s thing that we have going, Nick. And that's why we I, appreciate it. And Probably. 
Yeah, the olds on Twitter and the youngs on Twitter can't appreciate it. So we'll 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 figure that out for it's another why, day. It's why Dan doesn't like it. You know, he's one of those, <laughs> yes, clearly one of those early '80s kids who, oh, who only okay. appreciates the finer things. You know, he has the best air for movies, so we'll give him that. All right, so today we'll talk about uh, you know we'll go over the the results that Chelsea have had in the last time we spoke with Matt. Like I said, a lot's happened since the United draw. Um, we'll talk about which players Frank is most thankful for at the moment as we're getting ready for that thankful season coming up at the end of the month for us in America. Uh, we'll obviously talk about the international breaks and the players that are featuring. And then, you know, Matt's recommendation for the new head of the FA. That was a banger tweet cool. that I was so excited about. I'm ex- I'm really interested to hear about that. But we've saved it for last, so uh, you're going to have to wait around for that one. So, uh, Dan, run us through the results that we've kind of had uh, leading up to where we are at the international break right now, just to kind of help set the stage. Yeah, well, we spoke with Matt after two nil-nil draws against Sevilla in the Champions League and Manchester United in the Premier League and asked the question, what's the expectation for the four matches to follow? And Matt's expectation was to win them all. And, well, Chelsea, not surprisingly, did exactly what Matt asked and won 4-0 <laughs> versus Krasnodar and won 3-0 versus Burnley, won 3-0 versus Wren, and then won 4-1. Yes, not a clean sheet in that match for Sheffield United. So three clean sheets, 14 goals scored, one allowed. Matt went exactly the plan as you thought it would be. I, yeah, hey, I love the fact you're trying to give me some credit over this. Um, <laughs> not deserved, I may add. Um, look, I... I I definitely thought they had to win all four. Whether I thought they would, I probably did think they would. Um, But obviously last time we spoke, things were all a little bit more uncertain with the balance of the team. Um, But yeah, massive results, a massive run going into this international break. Get up to 15 points, well within touch of the top. Um, Things coming together, balance being shown. It's just, I bet you guys feel like me as a Villa fan going into the international break. You can just enjoy the, the week or so with no football and not too many stresses going on. It's it's come together really nicely. It's come together really, really nicely. It's been quite the quite the positive momentum, Nick. I, I know we haven't been, uh, you know, banging them in maybe as much as Villa has, but, uh, you know, I think we've done <laughs> well, a decent job. Yeah, yeah. Free-flowing Villa, as you will. Um no, I, I think it's been an interesting run. Obviously not top, top tier competition in these four matches. So it's something that I think we've kind of been monitoring as we've as we've gone, Matt. But certainly there have been some standout performances along the way. So we, we kind of want to get your perspective um, from the outside looking in about which player you see uh, as maybe having had the biggest impact on this particular particular set of matches. Is it... The goalkeeper uh, for all the clean sheets is it Thiago Silva for organizing the defense, or is it someone like Ziyech, or maybe someone we haven't mentioned here? Look, we've we've talked a lot about Mendy and Silva, haven't we? Because last time we spoke, we were talking a lot about the clean sheet. So to try and give some new ground, let's talk about someone else and Ziyech. I mean, Ziyech. Um, I like the way Ziyech almost went under the radar because the signing happened back in February. So it's almost like he wasn't counted amongst the uh, the summer signings and almost without, even though he hadn't played for Chelsea, it felt like he'd already been there so long that the excitement wasn't quite the same around him and he couldn't start the season. But his impact's been incredible. It's caught me by surprise. I I remember what a good player he was at, at Ajax because I, I covered, weirdly, I covered quite a lot of that Champions League run 
um, doing a little bit of Tottenham and doing a bit of opposition um, watching. So I saw a lot of him that season. And I interviewed Martin Yoll in that season, who follows Ajax and has followed Ziyech's career very closely. And he was absolutely convinced that Ziyech could be a superstar in the Premier League. Um, he actually, I know for a fact, he had recommended that Tottenham sign him. He had gone into Levy and said, you need to sign this guy. He'll be a superstar for you. Um, and Tottenham, for whatever reason, Daniel Levy being Daniel Levy, didn't want to pay more than about five pounds. So um, that never happened. But it, it's caught me by surprise just how he's hit the ground running, how he, I mean, he's all over the pitch, isn't he? That's caught me unawares as well. He starts on the right, but he comes into the middle an awful lot. And, you know, he's, he's swapping with the left side. The front three are so fluid, um, whether it be Pulisic or when he's injured when Werner's played over. The front three are just switching all over the place all the time. And he's just brought a new dynamic to them. And the thing that's also I was worried about with Ziyech a little bit um, was whether he would have that defensive discipline and whether when he brought Ziyech in into a very attacking front three, whether, again, it would cause a problem defensively particularly, I have to say, with Rhys James behind him, because I think we all know that Rhys James' biggest strength is going forwards and that he's a good defender, but he's got improvement to make on the defensive side. And I thought that might be a vulnerable issue for them. And it might be in time, but it hasn't been so far. It's just those two, Rhys James as well, the last few games has been unbelievable, I think. Really, really good. The te- It wasn't me who wrote it, but The Telegraph wrote um, a statistical-based argument this week that he should actually be England's first choice right back, that currently he is the best performing right back in the league. And they based it a lot on stats. And it just shows you how well Reese James has been doing. I think this has been the perfect run of matches where it's not elite opponents picking us apart and maybe doubling in on that Ziyech Reese area. The teams that we've been playing just the way it is, are lower at the table. So we've been able to build confidence, not been its challenge, so they can find that balance, they can find that chemistry uh, without being picked apart in some different ways. So I think just as far as the run has gone, it's about as good as we could have possibly hoped for. Like you said, the new relationships being built, uh, and it's not even a front three anymore, Matt. It's a front five with Ben Chilwell and Reese James in the attack with them. Um, seeing some like the average positional player you know, maps and things like that, Ziyech is another striker, the where the where he's playing in some things like that too. So it's just it seems like this team has really taken a, a huge change. And obviously, you know, with Silva and Mendy defensively helping on top of Ben Chilwell, to me, I guess, where do you stand with how quickly this transformation has come? It was, you know, the the three three draw, then the Southampton, and you're like, oh, all right, we're kind of on the wobbles here. Draw against United, draw against Sevilla, and then haven't looked back since then. It's amazing. I think we've got to be careful. I know it's easy to get Mm -hmm. very carried away. And I think we've got to be careful because, as you've alluded to, it's not being top opposition. Um, And, you know, I still think there'll be bumps along the road here. Um, So, but I always felt, we spoke last time, I always felt that those goalless draws were a really good stepping stone after what had gone before, having proven they could score. But they found that balance quicker than I expected. I do think the second half in Krasnodar was huge because he made some substitutions. He brought Pulisic on for sort of the last... I'm going back in my memory a bit now. Was he on for about 15, 20 minutes, Pulisic, in that game? Yeah, roughly. 
And they went 4-3-3 all of a sudden in that game. Um, and that last 20 minutes, something clicked in Krasnodar, I thought. I thought that was huge for them because I didn't actually... Th I thought the first half in Krasnodar, they didn't play very well. I was disappointed in them. The second half, they were playing quite well. And then the last 20 minutes, something clicked. And I thought it was to do with the substitutions. I thought it was to do with Pulisic. I thought it was to do with switching to more of a 4-3-3, where it'd be being more, a bit more like a 4-2-3-1 before. Small changes, but it just seemed to click from there. And then from there, it's like a switch has been flicked. Like, I think Lampard's looked at it, and I think ideally he wants to be a 4-3-3 now. There'll be times when he has to be a 4-2-3-1 still, but I think he now knows he wants to be a 4-3-3. That is going to be the best formation with the players he's got. I think... When Kante's back, I still prefer Kante in that middle role. Um, and without Jorginho, I just don't like the two of them together. I think they're both... Kante's an incredible player. I think Jorginho's a fine player. I don't like the two of them together particularly. Um, and Mason Mount, who was getting a lot of stick, has really benefited from it as well, has really benefited from, again, dropping back a bit further into midfield, being a bit more of an eight again, uh, sort of an eight slash ten. And it's really worked for him too. And when, I mean, it has, I don't want to overstate the importance of Mason Mount because Chelsea have got an awful lot of top, top quality players and probably players who are actually more talented than Mount. But when Mount's playing well, Chelsea tend to play well. I think one other name before we transition out of players to give a little one-up for uh, in this run is due to Pulisic kind of coming out injured has been Tammy Abraham, who's been a little bit of the beneficiary of his injury and has really seemed to have improved his game even to another level from where he was last season. What have you seen maybe from Tammy during this run and just how he's enjoying his football? Well, I was looking at Tammy's stats, actually. I was, I was planning on doing a piece on him in the Krasnodar game, and I ended up doing a different piece because Werner sort of... Uh, I think it was someone, someone, yeah, it was Werner. Someone sort of did something in the game that I decided to do a different piece. Um, but Tammy, sorry, it was the Wren game. The Wren game, I was planning to do something on, on, on Tammy and ended up doing it on Werner. Timo uh, with the double pens. Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I just thought he sort of ran the whole tempo of that game in the end. So I ended up doing it on him. But my plan before the game was to do a piece on Tammy because I'd been looking at Tammy's stats and... Tammy, I think, has already got four or five assists for Chelsea this season, even though he hasn't been playing overly regularly. I think his best ever, um, going back to Villa as well, is six in all comps, which he's going to beat. And it shows you he's added something to his game. He's holding the ball slightly better. I still think that could be worked on. But what he's really got is awareness of what's around him now. Tammy was pure goal scorer before and I loved him for it you know I loved him at Villa and I loved him last season at Chelsea he was a pure pure goal scorer he was a get it in the box those long legs of his he can get onto any cross he can get a boot before a goalkeeper and lob it over the goalkeeper that was Tammy Abraham now there's more to him his his head's up a bit more he's aware of what's around him he's aware of other people's runs and he's finding assists and he's a he's a big plus to the team and I must I must say that Tammy's attitude has been fantastic because he could have easily gone into a real sulk at the start of the season. You know, he was Chelsea's top goal scorer last season. I know at the end of the season, Giroud came in and, and basically got Chelsea into the Champions League. 
But, you know, footballers' ego is what they are. If you're the top goal scorer at a club, you expect to start the next season. You don't expect to be on the bench. And, you know, signings come in, he's dropped to the bench. He could have easily had a salt because he still hasn't had a a big new contract because they just did the renewal that was an, an option renewal. So he's still not on the kind of money that a lot of players there are. There's a lot of reasons why Tammy could be very unhappy, but he's got his head down and he's dealt with the situation brilliantly. So uh, the thing that I don't want to talk about, but that Dan put in the script is given, you know, kind of the upward trajectory of Chelsea and some unfortunate injuries to Liverpool um, and kind of slow starts from United and City, do you feel like Chelsea have a shot to be there or thereabouts for the title? Yeah, Frank Lampard would shoot me for saying this. <laughs> I think they've got to go for the title now. That's not to say I think they've failed if they don't win the title. They're two very different things. You know, if if Manchester City don't win the title, for me, that's a failure because they're at a level where the expectation should be that they should really be winning the title. Chelsea have an opportunity because of circumstances. Liverpool's injury list is horrendous. Joe Gomez is basically out for the season now. Virgil van Dijk's basically out for the season. Trent Alexander-Arnold's out for four weeks. Man City, Nathan Aki came off last night. They've got problems. They don't look right up front. And they're a long way behind already. It's a massive opportunity. So if Chelsea end up finishing second or third, I'd still say great season. Progress, you know, good progress. Because And if they're challenging, if the gap's closed. But what I would also say now is they've got to go for it. There's an opportunity there. They've got to go for it. And there's no reason why they can't. You know, I've, I've spent a lot of time the last couple of weeks listening to, to Tottenham fans talking about the fact it could be their year. And it could be. But Chelsea have got a better chance than Tottenham. Why do you say that? Better squad. Better squad. I mean, they've, they've just got a better squad. They've got a better first eleven and a better squad. Well, the, and we're, we're still waiting. The only advantage Tottenham really have over Chelsea is that um, they've got a manager who has done it before. That's not me doubting Frank. It's just the fact they've got a manager who's got over the line before. But in terms of squad and team and, and actually playing style, I think Chelsea play. I see a lot of the clubs. I've seen Tottenham probably already three or four times this season because I. I sort of cover Tottenham as well as Chelsea. Chelsea are playing an awful lot better than Tottenham. Tottenham are getting through games, but Chelsea are playing an awful lot better than Tottenham. Tottenham's in Europa League. We're in Champions League. Like Those are the things that could always throw a title challenge off the yep. wobble a little bit, but um, what were you saying, Dan? Well, I was going to say, we haven't gotten Harry Kane's uh, seasonal injury yet either. You know, He's going to be yeah. out for a run of matches mm. too at some point, just with the way that his nature is. And yeah, I think the... Their downgrade in the striker position to Chelsea's, you know, if you go from a Timo to a, you know, a Tammy, for instance, you know, that we we know that both can score in the Premier League with, you know, quite a bit of uh, regularity. So I guess I I would bet on that too. It seems like our depth would be just a little bit better to withstand some of the the injuries. It's it's a good point. It's so hard to call though. I mean, obviously it's ridiculously early, but we just don't know with the. The, the injuries and the COVID tests, mm. yep. it's going to be impossible to call. You know, for instance, if Chelsea, if the goalkeeper or Thiago Silva gets injured, then that changes things massively for Chelsea. So they're, they're, they're at the hands of the gods a little bit. But at the moment, there's a massive opportunity there. So speaking of the table, I mean, 
I have a feeling you'll probably want to call it Villa, but what are what are some of the a couple of teams or spots that stand out most to you as we are sitting here on the twelfth of November? It's the obvious, really. Um, Southampton and Leicester. I mean, Leicester. I think people probably expected to to do well, maybe not as well as they're doing, particularly after they lost to West Ham and Villa at home in successive games. They've bounced back. Fafana at Leicester looks a real find. Their recruitment's very good. I've got to say, if you look at it. Um, take Southampton at the moment because they haven't done a lot of recruitment. But the teams up there, Chelsea, I would say, recruited better than anybody else. And I think that's already evident. I think that the recruitment over the summer, even though Havertz hasn't been spectacular yet, I don't think you can fault any of the, the, the recruitment. Um, Villa clearly recruited well. Villa are, are up there and benefiting from it. Leicester have clearly recruited well with Fofana um, and the Belgian lad, Castagna. Um, mm-hmm. It's rec- recruitment's playing a big part at the moment. Man City haven't recruited very well in the last few years, to be honest with you, and, and that's why they're sliding down. So I think you can see already the teams that did recruit well. Tottenham, to be fair, to them, Tottenham recruited well in the summer. Um, mm. They're up there. The recruitment at the, in the early part has played a massive part. And then Southampton are the anomaly. Southampton are the real anomaly. They're, they're, I mean, I watched them tear Villa apart in the first half, and I watched them at, obviously, Chelsea, where... In the second half, they outplayed Chelsea. Um, and they're a good side. The, the problem they've got is like Villa, like Leicester, they're only ever one injury away from probably a bad run of results. Um, and I think in December, you know, again, Leicester in Europe, so that's a bit different, but certainly Villa are benefiting at the moment from not being in Europe. Um, when we get to December and all these clubs who are either having easier times in Europe or uh, have not been in Europe, in December, the whole of the Premier League's got to play every three days. And that's when the squads are going to kick in. And um, I think that will then really start to shake the table down a little bit more. Yeah, Uh, I'm sure I'll be yelling from my soapbox about rotation uh, a lot more then, as I'm already started at this point. So, uh, all right, well, we're going to take a quick break. When we're back, we're going to pivot to internationals. Um, Obviously, talk about Chelsea's stance on them uh and then the new head of fa i'm going to tease that again because it is amazing uh so thank you to these sponsors for financially supporting the show we will be right back 2020 has been hard enough and you know what worrying about your routine for taking care of business below the belt shouldn't have to be one of those things you're concerned about thankfully our friends at manscaped are making your life simple and they're going to allow you to turn your bathroom with a snap into your very own private this is the exact copy from the text dong salon you know they're, they're concerned about your bangers and mash they don't want it to look like a mess you know they don't want it to be the worst get it bangers and mash and worst anyway they just released their products in the uk canada and australia the lawnmower 3.0 trimmer offers a replaceable ceramic blade with the advanced skin safe technology that helps reduce grooming accidents that's plus waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower and for up to 90 minutes hopefully not all in one sitting and they also released their shears 2.0 nail kit which is the perfect add-on for their lawnmower 3.0 trimmer their perfect package pun intended comes with two free gifts and other liquid formulations to help complete your ball trimming routine these formulations are all vegan cruelty free dye free sulfate free and paraffin free if you know what all those are to keep your yes this is in the text too disco stick in good hands 
Look, you're probably thinking about it. You know, you want to keep yourself smelling fresh. You've got the crop preserver for keeping the odor to a minimum downstairs. They've got a crop reviver toner that is spray on for the jewels. And then they've also got a foot duster deodorant. So good, you can even reduce the odor of the dirtiest feet. All these things sound great. And you know what? They got a code for our listeners London is blue. It's a 20% off, free shipping at manscaped.com. And so, you know, if you want to protect the package and not uh, not have it be the worst, uh, go hit it up now. Manscaped.com is the code London is blue for 20% off plus free shipping. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with the free $75 credit at Indeed.com forward slash podcast this is their best available offer anywhere go right now to indeed.com forward slash podcast terms and conditions apply offer valid through september 30th all right so personally matt these international breaks to to this podcast just don't make a lot of sense and granted we didn't really like them before now with a global pandemic the travel the risks everything involved for even America to go play Wales in a friendly, I have no interest. I almost want to boycott watching it because I don't think they should be doing it. Even if they're trying to say they're going to pull a European roster, which you know we have uh, now have the ability to do. Do you have any insight on what Chelsea's stance is towards these international breaks right now, specifically with the pandemic being what it is right now? Because I'm sure, again, they probably don't want their players to leave ever. But with it being a pandemic, is there a, a change in stance from them? Their stance is the same as most of the clubs. They're very frustrated that they've, they've turned. Look, I think all the clubs accept that we've got this Nations League in Europe and whether you value it or not, it is a competitive fixture. Um, they were brought in to supposedly make internationals more meaningful, stop less meaningless friendlies. The clubs kind of signed up to that. I think most clubs would grudgingly say, OK, we get there's a calendar with the Nations League. We get that it's not great now, but in the overall scheme of things, the Nations League is better than a load of friendly games. So we're happy with that. The third game is everybody's problem. The friendly game that's tonight is everybody's problem. Um, you know, why are we playing three games in a week? Why, when we've got two Nations League games, are we then also having a friendly game? I thought we were trying to be getting rid of these friendly games. England's original friendly game was against New Zealand. That got cancelled because of COVID. Everybody thought, hooray, we don't have to have that game. And they've rearranged another game. They had to because a bit like the Premier League, they have broadcasting um, fulfillments, um, requirements to fulfill. And if they don't, they lose a lot of money. You know, it's as simple as that. The FA would lose an awful lot of money. Um, and that would have knock-on effects within grassroots and English football. So... 
it's a bit of a catch-22 for everybody. It really is a bit of a catch-22, but it's not ideal. It's not ideal for anybody. Um, and nobody likes it. All that they're trying to do is Southgate, for instance, has named a 29-man squad. The England team tonight will basically be a B team, um, albeit Mason Mount's going to be playing. Um, Reese James will be playing because he's then suspended for England's next two games. And then when they get onto the Nations League, they'll play their A team. So I don't think any player is going to play three games. But yeah, it's frustrating. It is frustrating. Albeit, I've covered a lot of international football and I've been to the major tournaments, which I love. And to get the major tournaments, you have to go through the qualifying and you have to go through the other stuff. You just do. You can't have one without the other. What's the the sense that you have in terms of how you know, a big club like Chelsea works with the individual nations teams? Like are there teams where they can work really well with and say, hey, you know what? We really would appreciate we put a lot of miles on this player over the past couple of weeks, we've got a big run coming up where they can negotiate some of the playing time. Like we see Werner, you know, got a little bit of a rest here to kind of start the, the Germany kind of run of fixtures. Mason's playing probably every match maybe of this England stretch. So it's just going to be, he won't play all three. Okay. There's, there's loose arrangements about stuff about, unless there's some sort of injury crisis or suspension problem that they won't play all three. The managers don't tend to get involved too much. I know Frank, for instance, in this kind of week isn't on the phone to Gareth and isn't on the phone to Steve Holland. Steve Holland is in touch a lot with the Chelsea medical department. He knows them really well. He knows a lot of people mm-hmm. who were at the club, who remained at the club. Um, he would know Chris Jones phenomenally well. Um, Chelsea have got an advantage with England, I have to say. Steve Holland's relationships at Chelsea are, are still really strong. Um, and I know some of the other clubs actually don't like the fact that Chelsea clearly have this very good relationship with England. It does mean that a lot of Chelsea players will always get called up to the England squad, but it does also mean, like I say, that Steve Holland has a great relationship with all the backroom around Chelsea, and there's a lot of communication on that level, I think. Frank will have conversations leading up to international weeks, then Frank's got his feet up somewhere and, and, and lets Gareth Southgate get on with it. Um, there were discussions leading up to talk. You know, there would have been a discussion over Reese James, for instance, because he's suspended for two games. So what I would expect to happen, and I don't know for a fact this will happen, is that he will play. Well, I do know for a fact he will play against Republic of Ireland tonight. But what I'm guessing at is that at some point after the Republic of Ireland game, he will be released back to Chelsea because he's suspended for the next two yeah. games. And that would have been agreed within the call-up and stuff. So there's communication, but... It's not like Gareth and Frank are on the phone to each other this week, no. No, no, with awesome. The, with, the, with the foreign teams, it's really hard to call. Some, some, of the, um, some of the overseas nations, Germany and stuff, France, there's very, very rarely any problems. You know, Kante's been with France for years now. Chelsea have had loads of French internationals. There'll be a, a strong relationship there. Germany, there'll have to be a strong relationship now. Um, we saw Havertz got released from German duty to sign for Chelsea, basically, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? So there's clearly good links there. There's not a problem there. Um, there's generally always one sort of annoying one who can throw in the odd googly and whether that... America, means- Burhalter, I knew it. <laughs> it could be America. It was weird that Pulisic had to meet up. It looks like Pulisic had to meet up just for them to say okay, we believe you're injured, now you can go home again. Um, 
Morocco and Ziyech, who knows what happened there, but that didn't start great. So um, so let's see. But yeah, there always tends to be one or two difficulties. The difficulty with Pulisic in America for Chelsea, and you guys will know this far better than I will, is Pulisic is everything for America, right? Pulisic yeah. is everything. Uh, he's he's going to be the captain, yeah. yeah. I mean, especially going into the World Cup run. Yeah, and he's, he's getting afraid, he's he's, he's getting more support. But to your point, he is the talisman. Like yeah. Burhalter will build the team around Christian Pulisic. Yeah, and I'm assuming the sponsors. He is the face that the sponsors want. He is the face that the broadcasters want. He is the face that the interviewers want. He is the face that your newspapers, your radio want. It's like us with Harry Kane. When you're on international duty, you want to talk to Harry. You know, there's lots of good people to talk to with England. It's probably a bad comparison. But if you can talk to anyone, you try and talk to Harry Kane. He's the star of the show. Pulisic times that by 100, I'd imagine, with the United States. So he's always going to be on huge pressure to meet up with with the United States. They will put huge pressure on him. And he will also know that if he doesn't meet up with them, that he will probably get a lot of stick in the United States eventually, a bit like Ryan Giggs used to with Wales, Lionel Messi with Argentina. When you have these players who are almost become bigger than the football nation, um, it becomes very difficult for them. Yeah, it's it's one of the questions that we have for you, and and you may know just as much as we do about this. But it, was it just the photo op to get him in the training top and then and then send him? Like we we were just confused because no, all I can do is guess. All I can do is guess. Yeah. All I can. All I can guess at is that the United States want to be able to say to the press, to the media, to everybody else, we've looked at him, he's not right, he's going. We're not just letting him not turn up. We're not just letting Chelsea say he can't turn up. You know, we're we're digging our heels in the ground. We want to look at him, then we'll send him back. And there's probably a lot of, to even that point, right, like sponsorship events. Um, He goes there, he's got to shake hands, kiss babies, you know, to fundraise. I think that we as fans think they are just showing up to train and play. And no, it's much more than that. Exactly. And when these nations have these players for such limited amounts, they want to get them in. They're going to sign apparel. You know, they can be sold, auctioned, given to sponsors, donors, whatever it may be. There's there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes with them. And then, and, um, let's just remember with Pulisic as well, it works both ways. I was in Ajax last season, and I may have told you this story, when the USA coach came over to Holland to see Dest and Pulisic, um, just to see those players, to see the Ajax-Chelsea game so he could watch Dest and Pulisic. Pulisic at the time was having a really tough time. He was on the bench for that game. He actually came off the bench and played brilliantly when he came off. It was one of the turning points for him at Chelsea. But the, the American coach and his press officer invited the English journalist to a hotel in Amsterdam. We all went along. The American coach did a very positive piece on Christian saying, give him time, don't get on his back. He will do well. You've just got to give him a bit of space. And he was right. And actually that really helped Christian. And they were kind of there for Christian then. And so, you know, I've had limited dealings with the USA national team, but what I would say is I was really impressed with them doing that for him. And it really worked out for him. So they deserve a bit of credit and they've probably got a bit of credit in the bank as well, I'd say. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let, let's talk about um, your piece early. You know, the talks you've had about Mountain Grealish and this <laughs> almost a rivalry that's happening. A rivalry. 
Yeah, but, we. Yeah, it's really yeah. racism. Right, we're kind of insulated from it, right? I mean, I think we we loosely follow the the England team mainly because of the Chelsea players, right? But we don't have the home team bias that that you would probably have a better idea of. So, kind of, what's the the comments involving Jack Grealish and Mason, and how's Southgate managing this? So, so what's happened? I need to give you a bit of background. What what has happened is that there's a big clamor in England for Jack Grealish to play for England all the time. He's become way bigger than Villa fans wanting him to play. The whole nation wants Jack Grealish to play for England. Southgate has always been very reluctant to play him. There's something about him or his game that he's, he's always been reluctant about, and it's become harder and harder to justify. Then when Jack Grealish finally got called up, um, he made a good substitute appearance in Denmark. Then he started against Wales in the last game, in the last international games, played really well. Then Southgate was asked a lot about Jack Grealish in the post-match press conference. Now, in that Wales game, Jack Grealish played really well and Mason Mount ended up coming on for about the last 20 minutes and also played really well. And whenever Southgate got asked about Grealish, I think completely unintentionally, he kept talking about Mount. So a journalist would say to him, or someone would say, how did you think Jack Grealish performed today? And he would maybe talk about Grealish for 10 seconds and then go on to talk about how wonderful Mount was. This led to a big thing on Twitter where all these memes and things have been made and these funny videos of people pretending to try to talk to Southgate about Grealish or talk to Southgate about the US presidency race or talk to Southgate about COVID. <laughs> and all he will talk in response is how wonderful Mason Mount is. It's become a huge joke, but with a serious undertone that the nation wants Jack Grealish to play. And unfortunately for Mason Mount, it's turned into a little bit. And it's really unfortunate because he's been through a funny period with some Chelsea Twitter fans, is that now he's in a funny period with England fans, whereby the fans who don't understand that Mason Mount is a completely different player to Jack Grealish and plays, he can play in the same position, but his best position is not in the same position. Unfortunately, people who don't watch Mason Mount very much or just don't understand the vagaries of it, have turned it into this, well, it's Mount or Grealish rivalry, where it shouldn't really be about that. In my, in my mind, we actually should be trying to play them together. I think Mount and Grealish for England could be like Matt Grealish and Barkley are a little bit for Villa, if we could play a 4-3-3. The problem is, is that Southgate wants to play 3-4-3, which makes it very difficult. Funnily enough, tonight, Mount and Grealish are going to play together. Mount's going to play in a midfield two, which is another new role for Mason Mount. And okay. Grealish is going to be on the left of a front three. So it'll be really interesting how they're doing the same team. But Mount was asked about I asked Mount about it myself this week. I said, look, you know, what, what, what do you think of this? And, and what do you think of the accusations that you've already had at, at Chelsea that you're now getting with England, that your teacher's pet? And, you know, he was laughing and he was just saying it's ridiculous and, Myself and Jack don't have any rivalry with teammates. We want to play together. We, it's not one or the other. Southgate last night made a big joke of it and said that, you know, he almost feels like he's got to answer every question he's asked with Mason Mount now just to keep the memes and videos going for everybody. Well, And, and then you had the unfortunate, I think, um, misspelling from the Telegraph. Well, it wasn't where a misspelling. Said... Unfortunately, no. Somebody on in our office um, on the web staff who had probably been working a hideous 12-hour day and putting different yeah, headlines on a million different pieces, 
missed quite a significant word out of the online headline overnight. <laughs> um, so it was it read as Mount. I do have a rivalry with with Gould, <laughs> which of course would be a sensational story. But oh my god, obviously was the opposite. So yeah, I had a fraught morning. I fortunately I always get up very early because of my young kids. So I got up to half six to lots of messages about this headline, and then. I think within an hour we'd managed to sort it out. Unfortunately, the newspaper was the the headline was fine in the newspaper too. These things happen sometimes. Yeah, yeah, nothing like a good uh, headline to uh, yeah. s- startle an entire nation. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's interesting. I, yeah, so it's kind of like the new Gerard Lampard Skulls debate. You just need a third third name to throw in. Yeah, sort of. In a Madison. Different kind of way. It's, it's a different it one because it's become. Like I say, it's born out of a big joke. I mean, the videos are funny, you know, mocking up a very serious reporter asking Southgate about who will win the presidency and you have him just replying how wonderful Mason Mount is. It is a funny, they are funny videos, a lot of them are. Um, but I'll be, I really hope they both play, I look, this, this will probably go out after the game. I really hope that um, they both play brilliantly together tonight because I want to see them both play for England. Yeah, yeah. All right, Dan. I just want to see. I want to see Mason Mount turn wrestling heel and just throw it all in. He's <laughs> he's going for it. Be the villain. Uh, so, Matt, one of the last things that we want to chat about before we get you out of here is, you know, there is a vacancy now as the the chair of the FA has stepped down after some pretty aberrant behavior uh, that's just completely ridiculous in 2020. But you had a shout and, uh, you know, I'll just kind of read the tweet verbatim that the FA should be putting in a call to Michael Amanalo, who I am astounded has not yet returned to football. He can make a real change from inside and couldn't be better qualified to help run the English game. There were replies, there were reactions, and I think it's more just to see opportunity to maybe expand a little bit of the, the dialogue around it. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm a big champion of, of Michael Amanalo. Um, I always have been. I've always thought that his role at Chelsea was misunderstood by a lot of people. A lot of people thought he was just in charge of signings. In actual fact, he was never in charge of signings, ever. Marina's always been in charge of signings. Um, he played a big part in signings, but that was a, a small part of a huge job he had. I mean, a much bigger part of his job was creating the academy, was the loan system, was the processes Chelsea have for scouting, was the ch- processes Chelsea have when they built their own Y-Scout um, computer program. They, they built their own because they knew that uh, the public one could get hacked into by other clubs, which has actually happened. Liverpool and Man City got into a big legal court case because one of them hacked into the other one's Y-Scout account and looked at the players they were looking at. Michael, years ago, realised that that could be a, a possibility and actually Chelsea developed their own program, which only Chelsea have got the keys to and which everybody says is way better than than the sort of public programme that, that a lot of clubs use. So his job was massive, and his job, what he did at Chelsea was actually incredible. Um, and I've always felt that. And I now feel that the Monaco thing, I think Michael would say himself, he should never have gone there. It was a bad decision. The club was not set up in the right way at all for him to go in and implement anything that he wanted to. You could look at the manager turnover after he left. I think they quickly went through two or three managers straight away. He went into a basket case, not quite fully clued up in terms of what was going on there. And it it kind of hit him in the face a little bit. Um, 
And now that seems to hang over him, and it's a real shame. But I just think he he now is in a stage where he would be wonderful to go into a club or an organisation a bit like he did at Chelsea all those years ago and just start implementing the basics and building a culture. He built a culture at Chelsea. Um, and I would love him to do that for English football. Look, I don't think he will. I think the FA would be scared of him. I don't think they will put a call into him. Um, I think probably he would rather go back into club football than work in a national association. But he would be my first choice every day. But, I mean, I championed Michael for a lot of things because, you know, when the, the FA technical job came up, he could do that job as well. When the Villa technical director job came up, I'll admit I did everything in my power to try and get messages into Villa to say, someone put a call into Michael Emanalo, please. Um, I I think he could do a wealth of roles and I think the, the chairman of the FA would, would be great for English football, but... I probably don't think it will happen, sadly. Who who then do you think is the most oh, likely candidate? It's, it's, it's an impossible question to answer, and it will probably be somebody a lot of people have never heard of. There's a there's a lady, Baroness Sue Campbell, who um, is very high up in women's football and has done an awful lot through sport. Um, she's a very qualified candidate, but obviously not not the same sort of profile as someone like Michael. I think she's got a good shout. Paul Elliott, who's within the FA already. Obviously, um, Chelsea fans would know Paul Elliott. Um, he he will have a shout. But it's a, it's not like a football. It's not like a normal vacancy with a football manager or player transfer. It's it's not one you can easily speculate on. I hadn't heard of Greg Clark before he joined the FA, for instance. Well, uh, judging on the replies that that tweet got of yours and uh, some of the getting stuck in this from you, Matt, I think we might have to uh, maybe set some time aside and do a Michael Amanalo, uh overview piece and, and share that out because mm-hmm. uh, definitely, definitely, I think he, you know, even when he did the uh, the palpable palpable Discord line. Uh, that was a very interesting time to be a Chelsea fan. And yeah, uh, I mean, he, he, yeah, there's lots of, he's a really interesting story and he's very, his role is completely misunderstood by so many people. You know, people will say, oh, he signed Papadil Bodgy. Mm, not really. Um, oh, he's responsible for that terrible window when we signed Drinkwater and everyone. He is partly responsible, but certainly not fully responsible. Um, and then people don't, get all the other work he was doing you know he he tells a fascinating story just to carry on I'm gonna have to go soon but he tells a fascinating story whereby um he didn't tell me the name of the manager so I want you to know that he didn't tell me this but somebody else at Chelsea told me it was this manager so I feel free to be able to say it because Michael wasn't the source of the name but Andre Villas-Boas when Michael was signing up um youngsters like Kevin De Bruyne like Romelu Lukaku, like Thibaut Courtois. He was getting all the scouting done in Belgium. He's got roots in Belgium because he played in Belgium. He knows the Belgian game. And he knew that something special was happening in Belgium. And it was when Villas-Boas was Chelsea manager. And Villas-Boas got wind of the fact that Chelsea were getting all their scouts into Belgium. They were trying to sign Belgian players. Villas-Boas went in very annoyed to Michael, saying... What's Belgium? Since when did Belgian players become? Why aren't we looking at Brazilian players? Why are we looking at the what, what's Belgium in world football? Why are we doing this? 
And Michael turned around and said, I'm not looking at passports. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the players and there's something special going on in Belgium. And he was, he, in that instance, he was a bit of a visionary. He saw the Belgian thing going on way before it happened. And if Fias Boas had his way, you'd have been just sending everybody off to Brazil to, to look for the next Hulk or someone. Oh, man. What a throwback <laughs> name to end on. The, the rumor that never ended. Uh... Well, Matt, thank you so much as always. Uh, love ending on a story like that. Um, everyone, go check him out. Obviously, at the the Telegraph, uh, the the subscription is well worth it. We are all individually, individually mm. subscribed uh, to the Telegraph. So, anyways, uh, thanks, Matt. Uh, enjoy the international break, and uh, I guess we'll be talking to you soon. All right. Yeah. Good stuff. See you later. All right. Take care. All right, Chelsea fans, for the rest of you, that's gonna wrap us up. Enjoy your international break. All right. Um, I don't know. You guys are in my head. I'm completely done. <laughs> I broke them again. I've got to go and get my kids. All right, see you, Matt. See you later. See you, Matt. See, you. see ya. Too early. Right. Until next time, Chelsea fans, you know no, what to I do. Know. Keep the blue flag it's just, flying high. I have high. to look at you two dummies every time. <laughs> All right, anyways, hey, look, Matt had to wrap, so we're going to just outro quick. Uh, international break. Uh, slower cadence, obviously, but it doesn't mean we're still not doing stuff. Discord is the best way to stay engaged with everything we're doing. Uh, but that's going to wrap us up, Chelsea fans. So until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.